Well, good morning, church. How you doing? Uh, I don't know about you, but I love to celebrate. I love to have good things to celebrate. Um, there's a lot of neat things that happen within the life of our church and the family of our church. And uh, this morning, I want you to know um, that Donald and Cora Davis, who are sitting right back there, have been married 66 years today. Man. To God be the glory. Thank you so much for your example of faithfulness and love uh, toward one another. Uh, I hope I live 66 years. I don't know if my wife will put up with me for 66 or not. Wow, just incredible. Thank you um, to you, uh, two wonderful people. Uh, if you were here last week, I want to tell you thank you for coming back this week. Uh, because in all honesty, you got a two-for-one last week. I got kind of carried away. I kind of like, uh, I preached for like 50 minutes last week. And some of you are kind. You're really, really kind. You come up to me, man, don't worry about the time. It's no big deal. Listen, it's not the people sitting in these seats that I'm worried about the time for. Because maybe some of you every now and then look, look glance at your watch about the minutes. It's the dear, sweet, awesome people that are serving our kids right now who they don't look at their watch and count the minutes. They're counting seconds, all right? And so I went a little long last week, uh, but we're, we're together today, and uh, we're going to pick right back up uh, kind of where we left off uh, in the book of Exodus, and I'm so excited. Here's the deal. Um, only messed up sinners are really going to get and appreciate today's sermon. So if that's not you, you can tune me out for the next few minutes. For the rest of us, I believe that God is going to say some things through his word that's going to speak loudly to us. We began uh, to look, we began to look at the book of Exodus, the story of Exodus last week, and to think about the God who rescues. We learned that God's people, the people of Israel, found themselves in the country of Egypt, a place where they had found actually sustenance and food, but now as a result of a change in the regime over years, they've found themselves in slavery. And they've been stuck in this slavery for years upon years upon years. God heard their cries, saw their distress, and has raised up a leader, a reluctant leader, by the way, whose name was Moses. God called Moses to come free his people, and Moses argued, Moses made excuses, Moses tried to get his way out of this deal any way that he could, but God kept pursuing Moses, and God has raised Moses up, not just called him, but he's trained him. And years later now, after God has called and trained Moses, Moses comes back onto the scene, comes back into the country of Egypt to see the people that are his people freed and to free them. And so he's there to rescue them. And the leader of Egypt, which literally was the leader of the known world at the time, the Pharaoh that was in charge at that time, was actually willing to listen to Moses and his brother Aaron as they approached Pharaoh, the leader of the known world, to ask him to free all of his slaves, to free all of the people that were building his kingdom and to go in there and say, hey, would you let them go? And Pharaoh gives them an ear. Um, I would suggest to you maybe one of the reasons outside of the sovereignty of God, which we see all throughout this story, as to the reason why Pharaoh, the leader of the known world, would actually give an ear and listen to Moses is because Moses actually grew up in his home. 
Moses actually grew up as a grandson, an adopted grandson of this Pharaoh. Another idea that I might suggest to you about this Pharaoh wanting to listen to Moses and not putting him off to somebody else is because it would seem, according to the story and history, is that Pharaoh was a very hands-on kind of leader, which can be good or can be bad. I would suggest maybe he was a micromanager, that he didn't want anything to happen without him knowing about it or without him proving it. So let's look now at Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. The people of Israel have been in slavery for years. They have been oppressed. They have been put down. When Pharaoh didn't feel like they were oppressed enough, he oppressed them more. He gave them more work to do. When he felt like he wasn't keeping them at bay enough, he actually moved into genocide and he started killing their male-born babies. Here you are, the people of Israel. You're in slavery. Your master, if you will, Pharaoh, has been killing your firstborn. Now a new leader comes on the scene that's of God. His name's Moses. And you've got hope for the first time in your life. For the first time in your life, you are allowing yourself to imagine life not being a slave. You're imagining what it's going to be like when your kids have kids and they don't have to worry about their firstborn son being slain at the hands of a Pharaoh. For the first time in your life, you're allowing yourself to have hope. To have hope. Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 1. After this presentation, the presentation that's being spoken of here in verse number 1 is Moses and Aaron going before the people of Israel. They found a moment to gather them together and to speak to them. It says, after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now, when I read that, you have an idea of some shape, form, or fashion. Some of you, it's a very well-shaped idea of who's about to be spoken for here. When you hear about God, the ruler of Israel, the maker of all things, you're thinking, okay, yeah, I, I get who that is. But they're speaking to Pharaoh. He has never, ever heard of such. But they say this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go. So they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Verse 2. Is that so? Pharaoh retorted. I can imagine Pharaoh sitting on his big throne, palm branches waving over him, little couch thingy, him lounging, ruling the known world, unlimited supply of grapes and Cheetos. It's my imagination. I can come up with whatever I want to. I can also imagine in the voice of Anchorman, him responding, confident, cocky, and he says, is that so? He goes on in verse 2, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. You see, Pharaoh 
not only did he not know God, the God that most of us in this room believe in with all of our being, that we trust we know according to Scripture, not only did he not know him, Pharaoh actually believed that he was that God. Pharaoh actually believed that he was deity. He actually believed that he was the ruler and master of everything. And he says, I don't know who you're talking about, so it doesn't really matter what you say. No way am I going to let you few million slaves of mine go. Not happening. And besides that, he's like, I don't want you to take a moment off. Verse 3. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. Oh, so now you just want a holiday. You You want another holiday, right? You just want to take a break. I get it. You're whining. You're complaining. Get back to work. Look at verse 4. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. They were building my empire, and all this conversation right now is hindering everything that I envision happening, happening. And it ought to happen because I believe that I'm God. Verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for the making of bricks. Make the people get it themselves. So day after day after day after day, the people of God, the slaves of Pharaoh, were making bricks. It goes on to say in verse number 8, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. There you are, you're one of the people, and all you've ever known your entire life is slavery. You've potentially had a son or a grandson slain by this ruler named Pharaoh. You've had a guy named Moses who says he's met with God, who comes along and says, God's going to free us. God's heard our cries. God's going to get us out of this. You've allowed yourself for the first time in your life to imagine what hope is like. And then Pharaoh like a mammoth giant comes along and squashes out every bit of hope that you had. I thought we were going to get out of this deal. I thought we were going to be free. I thought Moses was going to go before Pharaoh and God was going to do something. We're out of here. And instead of being out of here, things are worse now than what they were before. So they made bricks. And so I want to put a number on the screen and I want to let this settle in for just a second. Some suggest that the Israelite slaves were required to make 3,000 bricks a day per person. Now, I don't know if that's a correct number or not, but let's just take one zero off. 300. Every single day. 300, 3,000. It really doesn't matter what the number is. You're never going to reach 
the goal that they've given you. And he says, hey, don't drop their quota. Don't give them what they need to make their bricks. Make them gather everything up and do it themselves. Uh, One of the pyramids that still stands today, they've estimated, has over 25 million bricks in it. How do you think those pyramids got built? These people we're talking about right now made all the bricks. All the bricks. These bricks that made up the inside and on the outside they put the huge stones. But these very people, the people of God, were those that were making the bricks day after day after day after day. Millions of them making thousands of bricks for hundreds of years. So here are the people of Israel. They allowed themselves to get a glimmer of hope. They trusted God. They believed that what Moses said was true. Pharaoh has squashed it all, and now they're forced forced with a choice, a dilemma. Do we trust God even now to bring us our freedom? Or do we go to Pharaoh and look for relief? Look on now in verse number 15. So the Israelite foreman went to who? Who'd they go to? Who'd they go to? They didn't go to God. They went to Pharaoh. They made their choice. They've decided, you know what? God's not big enough. God's not strong enough. God cannot save the day. God is not going to show up. But maybe Pharaoh will give us an ear. Maybe he will listen to us. Maybe he will relieve us just a little bit. So the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him, please don't treat your servants. Everybody say, your servants. You see what they had decided their identity was? Their identity was that they were servants of Pharaoh. It's who we are. It's who we were. It's who we're going to be. There's nothing we can do about it. God can't rescue us, so let's go to our master, whose name is Pharaoh, and see if he'll give us a little bit of relief. Verse 15 goes on to say, please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. Verse 16, we are given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand, make bricks. We are being beaten, but it isn't our fault. Your own people are to blame. But Pharaoh shouted, you're just lazy, lazy. That's why you're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given, but you will still produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman, the Israelite foreman, same people group, The Israelite foreman said to them, May the Lord judge and punish you, Moses and Aaron, for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You've put a sword in their hands, an excuse to kill us. Israelite people went back to what they knew, being servants of Pharaoh going to Pharaoh, pleading with Pharaoh, begging Pharaoh, their master, to bring them relief. Listen, 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 listen. Anything or anyone 
who is out to push you down, enslave you, punish you, or destroy you, is not your friend, and they are a terrible, terrible master. Anyone who's out to push you down, enslave you, punish you, they are not your friend, and they're a terrible, terrible, terrible master to have. So Pharaoh's plans worked. He said, I ought to squeeze them tighter, and he did, and they caved. He struck fear into his slaves. He caused them to believe in lies rather than in God. The people of God even went so far as to believe that the lies were not coming from Pharaoh, but that the lies were coming from God. Okay, if God spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke on his behalf, and they went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh shut it down, then God lied. We're not getting out of here. We're not getting free. You can imagine the confusion, the bewilderment, the anger, the frustration that must have taken place within the hearts of these slaves. I mean, they thought Moses would roll up in there, speak to Pharaoh, get out of here after hundreds of years of slavery, and be free. And this is that moment that they had to make this decision. It's the same decision you and I have to make in our lives. Do I trust that freedom and the process to get there will be worth it? Do I trust that freedom and the process to get there will be worth it? Do I trust that God can deliver me? When and how he chooses. Here's a question I want to put on the screen. Will we choose to trust God when circumstances worsen? Will we choose to trust God when circumstances get bad? Hey, man, I asked God to do this and he did it for me. Man, I believe in him. God is so good. But what about when you ask God for something and he doesn't do it for you? Doesn't come through. Doesn't save the day doesn't rescue in the way that you thought that he would. Will you choose to trust him even in those moments? This God spoke to Moses, told him he's going to free the people. It wasn't Moses waltzing in there and saying, hey, Pharaoh, let him go, and he just let him go. There's much more to this story of rescue than this moment. It doesn't stop here. And God's people choose not to trust their God. They choose not to trust they're God. A lot of times redemption, bringing us out of what we are enslaved to, it doesn't look like we thought it would. We're tempted. We're tempted in that moment to believe that God doesn't love us or that he's forsaken us and that all hope is lost. We either place faith in the God who threatens to make us miserable but offers temporary relief. That's who Pharaoh was. The God, if you will, the little g God that makes us miserable but seemingly has the power to give us temporary relief. And that's where a lot of people are today. They're choosing to believe in a God, little g, that's making them miserable but offers them a temporary moment of relief. And we choose either to believe in, trust in, go to, get from that God, whatever it's got to offer, even if in the end it's going to destroy us, or we choose to place our faith in the one true and living God who's promised freedom for life. Big idea I really want you to grasp this morning, and that is this. Redemption is not about a temporary relief. Redemption is not about a temporary relief. It's about freedom. It's about freedom. And here's something that the Israelite people of that day could not conceive. They couldn't grasp. 
They couldn't wrap their heads around. They couldn't grasp freedom. You want to know why? Because they had never, ever, ever experienced it. They had been enslaved since the day that they were born. And their slavery had gotten worse and had gotten worse and it had gotten worse. The only mentality that they had was slavery. The only future they could see was slavery. And so they tried to function within their slavery. They tried to go to their master, Pharaoh, and not find freedom but find relief. That's all they were hoping for was relief. Man, just knock the quota down a little bit. Give us a little bit of straw and we'll be okay. We'll move forward. We won't complain anymore. Can you imagine being a slave the way they were and choosing to say, you know what, I'd rather have a relief, a little bit of temporary relief in my slavery rather than actually being free. But they didn't know what freedom was. They never experienced it in their life. Now, here's the connection that we cannot miss that I'm afraid we will if we're not careful. Because when we think about slavery, we think about a physical master, and we think about physical work, and we think about labor, and we think about punishment, and we think about what you've got to understand is that since the moment you and I were born, we've had a slave master whose name is sin. It rules and reigns our life. And we think it's our friend, and we turn to it, what you turn to within the realm of what sin offers, and what I turn to within the realm of what sin offers may differ, but we find ourselves turning to something to bring us relief from the pain, from our circumstances, from our reality, from our relationship, from our whatever we need help, getting help from, and we go to it. And I'm here to tell you that if you or I are turning to a God, little g, that is sin, it's going to bring about destruction in our lives. And some of us have settled for pleading to our slave master known as sin for temporary relief rather than saying, I want freedom. And the reason why some of us have never ever said, I want freedom is because we've never ever really, really been free. We, we can't imagine what freedom looks like spiritually. We can't imagine what it looks like to say, you know what, I don't have to say yes to that old, ugly master called sin. It's no longer my master now. I can have a master that loves me, values me, builds me up, and encourages me and adopts me as his own. You see, our God, he's at war against the gods that enslave us. Gods that not only hold us on the outside, but are also on the inside. I want to read a quote to you from a, a gentleman named Mike Wilkerson, great author, and he says this. Chances are that your sin has been some form of refuge for you, some means of comfort. But that comfort was merely a bait on a hook. And now you're being reeled in. You're enslaved. In delivering us from sin, God breaks the chains of slavery and beckons us to freedom. But faithful obedience is very costly. He calls us, listen to this, he calls us to abandon everything we have clung to in our sin. And pulling out the hook of false comfort can be very painful. And here's what I've noticed in my life. When I see you in your sin, I'm like, man, they're stupid. 
why in the world would they keep doing that? Why would they keep going there? Why would they keep putting this in their life, in their body, in their mind? Why would they keep subjecting themselves to that? What's wrong with you? But if we were flipping around and you were to look at me and the things that maybe I have run to in my life for relief called sin, you'd say the same thing. You see, sin knows what we're Where we're weak, it knows what we want. And what you want may not be what I want. And what we don't know is what we really need is freedom. And only God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, offers us freedom. Amen. And some of you are like, man, he's preaching to lost people today. Well, sure I am. I'm preaching to people that have never believed in Jesus. Absolutely I am. And man, I want you to experience this freedom that we talk about. But I am just as much speaking to those of us who have believed in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And for some of us, all that has been for us is a get out of hell free card. And we are still choosing every single day to say, Jesus, you're not a good master. You can't do for me what I want because we can't really imagine what freedom really looks like. I'm going to go back over here with my little G God and I'm going to continue to cuddle up with it. I'm going to continue to ingest it. I'm going to continue to inject it. I'm going to continue to put it in my mind and my body. And my, I'm going to continue to be in this so that I can get the relief that I need, the fix that I need. I mean, how many fixes did we get this week amongst this group of people? Jesus says, I don't want to offer you a fix. I don't want to offer you a temporary relief. I want to offer you freedom. And some of you are like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what you're talking about. Just like these people in the story of Exodus didn't know. But I'm here to tell you, even though you can't imagine it right now fully, it's what you desperately need in your life. It's what you desperately need. Sin, it tricks us. It lies to us. It, it tells us what we want to hear. It offers us what we think we need. It offers us, again, a temporary fix, a temporary comfort. As I was um, in study for this this week, I was just thinking about Satan, who is our enemy. And I think we'd probably all, probably everybody in the room, probably would say, yeah, Satan's real. And we'd probably say, yeah, he, he doesn't like us and he hates us. And, and, and I don't know if I've ever gotten this like clear in my head before or not, but what, what I realized this week is that Satan, listen to me, Satan, who is our enemy, could care less about being our master. It's not his end game. He could care less whether you bow down to him or not. He could care less if you acknowledge him as being real. He definitely could care less if you acknowledge him as being God. All Satan wants to do for me and for you is to make sure that Jesus is not our master. If you're your own master, Satan is happy. If somebody else is your master, he's happy. If sin is your master, he's happy. As long as Jesus is not your master, he is smiling. And for some of you, you are believers and yet Jesus is not your master. I mean, like, you've been, you've been saved, but you're still stuck in your sin in life, going through it every single day, seeking a temporary fix. And guess what? Satan's leaving you alone because Jesus is not your master. 
Redemption is not about a temporary relief. It's about freedom. Sin will break us. Sin will disable us. It will destroy us. It will kill us. At the same time, we think we can't live without that sin. And maybe you haven't been calling what we're talking about sin, but I'm here to tell you that if you're going to anything for a fix, for a relief, for salvation, for rescue, other than Jesus, it is sin. And we think we can't live without it. And yet the truth is, we're not actually living. At the very best, we're dying. Some people don't recognize their slavery to sin. So here's what I'm praying for us today. I'm praying that every single person in this room, every single person that listens to this sermon, every single person that gets into what we're talking about right now, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying that if you need to recognize that you are enslaved to sin, that you will recognize that you are enslaved to sin. Am I trying to speak down to you today? Absolutely not. I'm just saying I don't want myself, I don't want you to stay stuck in this slavery when Jesus offers us so much more, so much more. For some of you, you recognize your slavery to sin. In fact, you're like wondering, is he going to get a list, give a list of all the things we could be enslaved to? Because if he does, I'm afraid that what I'm enslaved to might be on that list. I mean, like you, you, your, your sin is before you right now. It's your master. You know it. Uh, it rules you. It reigns over you. It dominates you. And uh, you, you're, you, you know it. And so you're asking this question because you want out, but you're asking this question, can I get out? Is, is there a way? What will it look like? What will it cost me? Will it be easy? What will life look like out of slavery? What if people find out? So let me ask you this question. Do you want out? Do you want out? Can you get out? Yes. Is there a way out? Yes. What will it look like? Probably not what you think. What will it cost you? A lot. Will it be easy? No. Will it be worth it? Yes. What will life look outside of slavery? Like freedom. What if people find out? Find out what? Find out what? That you've been freed from sin? I mean, how bad could it be for the whole world to know that you've been freed from sin? Hey, just we'll let the world know I'm freed now from sin. Wait a minute, you, you had a problem with sin? I had no idea. I mean, who do you think you're fooling? Really? So what if the whole world fought, finds out? Man, I went over to congratulate my neighbor. Uh, yesterday I found out last week that he had been baptized. And man, I just went over and man, I said, man, I'm so happy to hear about this happening in your life. And you know what he went on? He just went on to talk about the opportunity it's given him to make Jesus known in his life. He's talking about his grandkids. My grandkids were there and they were saying, I, I got, you know, that word's kind of tough, baptized. Uh, they're telling their friends at school that my granddad got baptized. How bad could it be if your grandkids go around and say, you know what? My grandpa's no longer stuck in sin. How bad could it be if your kids say, you know what, my mom is not stuck in sin anymore? How bad could it be for your friends to say, you know what, that guy's free now? Because guess what, the odds are either they are stuck now too, or they were and they've only been freed by Jesus. So either way, they get it. They get it. 
How is it possible? Through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Look at John chapter 10 and verse number 10. The thief's purpose. Who's the thief? Satan, sure. I don't want to limit it to Satan because I think we've got to really get this whole thing encompassed. Um, Let's just say sin, okay? Satan, sin. You could say they're synonymous if you want to. I don't know if you really can do that or not, but, but we'll put both of them there. I think they both apply. So sin's purpose and Satan's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Hey, I want that to be my master. You can give a little chuckle there if you want to. That was, what? So sin and Satan, their purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. Yeah, I want them to be my master. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Yep, I sign up. But my, and we know this is Jesus speaking, um, Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And a minute ago, we talked about how some of us don't know what freedom is. I think some of us don't know what rich is either. I mean, we, we, we think freedom, we think, we think about American history, and yeah, that, that applies to a degree, but it's so much deeper than that. And we think about, we think about rich and, you know what, dollar signs, man, dollar signs. No, 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 it's so much deeper than that. Rich, and this next word, satisfying life. Um, we bought a CD of Carrollton when they were here a few weeks ago, and those guys are great. And uh, it's on in our car a lot right now because all four of our kids like it. When all four of your kids like something, the same thing, it's a big deal. And so, in fact, one of our kids said, why do we keep playing this CD over and over? Because all four of you like it. You know, we can never agree on a song or whatever. So anyway, and there's one song in there about uh, I will be content. And our daughter loves to sing, even though sometimes she doesn't have a clue what the words are. Um, she was saying this, I will not be content, is what she was saying. I will not be content, you know, and just singing along. And Terry had to correct her and say, hey, baby, let me tell you what content means, because you want to be content. Like, that's a good thing. They're saying, I will be content, not I won't be content. She was like, oh. Same little girl that this morning said, I don't have anything to wear. We're just as silly, aren't we? This vehicle, I can't stand it. I wish I had this. I don't have that. I don't have any friends. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. No contentment. And Jesus says, my purpose, my plan, my mission is to give you rich and a satisfying life. This is, this is God's compassion. He sees you. He knows what pain you're in. He knows what suffering you're in. He knows how far away that you feel. And he loves you and he wants you. And so God sends Jesus for us. He comes for us. Jesus leaves heaven to this hellish earth for us so that he can bring us this freedom and this satisfaction that he speaks of. He wants to bring you out. He wants to lift you up. He wants you free. God wants to show you and me a way of life like we've never known possibly. I'll never forget when Serena came to church a few years ago. And it was the first time that Serena had ever been in any kind of church at all in 17 years. Now, I've seen this happen a lot in my life. I've seen people like, I've only been in church like three times ever or I quit going a long time ago or haven't been in years or whatever. But Serena, for that day, it, was seven, it had been 17 years. And um, as 
relationship came and I was able to ask the question, like, why, why has it been 17 years? Like, what gives? Do you not like church? Do you not enjoy the whole idea? Do you not believe? What's your deal? And here's, here's what she told me. She said that church for her in the past looked like everybody telling her that she wasn't good enough. Did you hear that? I felt like church was just me showing up and everybody telling me I wasn't good enough. Let me tell you something this morning. You're in a place full of people that are going to tell you, listen to me, that we aren't good enough. I mean, I spoke heavy a minute ago about sin, and I saw some of you are like ready to crawl out of here. But let me tell you, it's not about me and you being good enough. Did you hear me? It's not about us being good enough. This whole thing called church, this whole thing called Christianity, it's about Jesus not merely being good enough, but being perfect. It's about Jesus, who is sinless, coming into our sin-filled world, dying on a cross, dying for my sin and for your sin, so that regardless of what we have or have not done, as ugly as it has been, no matter who or what has been our master, he can come along and state us, declare us as being free. Jesus. Jesus, he is our redeemer. We aren't good enough, strong enough to redeem ourselves, but Jesus can. He wants to, so will you trust him to? I want want to tell you this morning that through Jesus, you you are loved. Like, wait a minute, I'm one of those people a minute ago, like, I'm not even trying to, like, deny it to myself. I, I know what my deal is, and it's ugly. I, I, I know what I do. I know all the fixes I've had this week, and it's, it hasn't been good. Like, it was so bad, I almost didn't come this morning, because I just thought, like, I, I've blown it one time too many, and it's over for me. And Jesus declares that you, yes, you, you are loved. Jesus declares that you are wanted. Jesus declares that through him you are accepted by God. Jesus declares that through him, when you place your faith in him, that he adopts you as his very own. You're no longer an orphan. You're no longer on your own. You are a child of the king. Jesus declares through his death on the cross that you are valued. Valued. And God said, I don't want to say this. I want to show you. So I'm going to let this Jesus, I'm going to let my son live among you, die in your place, and come back from the dead to declare to the world that you are loved, wanted, accepted, adopted, and valued. Got a couple things for you to consider as we wrap up our time this morning. Some next steps. They're on the back side of your communication card. They're on the screen. Most of all, I want them to be wrestled with in your heart. Maybe for you, your next step today is just to cease settling for temporary relief. I don't know what your temporary relief is. It, it, it may be the same as somebody else's in the room. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, it probably is. There's probably somebody else in the room that's got the same temporary fix that you go for, probably. You're probably not alone in what you bow down to. 
Cease settling for it. Understand that it is there to kill you, to destroy you, and quit settling for temporary relief that's going to bring about destruction. Here's what we know for sure about sin. It will definitely kill you physically. Okay, It's the reason why we all die, by the way, sin. It's the reason why I die, you die, we die because of sin. It's part of the curse that sin loves to kill everything else in its path. It loves to, to kill your joy. It loves to kill your peace. It loves to kill your intimacy with God and with others. It loves to kill relationships. It loves to kill churches. It loves to kill anyone and everything in its path. Cease settling for temporary relief. Another step that you can consider, and I'd love for you to take both of them with boldness, and that was this, just to step into the journey to freedom that Jesus offers. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus dying for your sin. It looks like him raising up from the dead and then you following him. Is that going to be easy? No. No, for some of you, this means, like, this, this means a whole new way of life. This means a whole setting aside what you used to go to all the time and say, this is me and this is what I do and this is how I function and this is how I cope and this is how I make it through to saying, I'm not going to that anymore. To saying, I'm going to go with what Jesus offers and I don't even know what all that is for sure except for I know it's him and that he's good and he's here to bring me blessing and he's here to bring me a satisfying and rich life that is deep, that is deep. So would you choose Jesus today and the freedom that comes with it? To any of you in this room that have never placed your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, oh, it is my heart's desire, it's our heart's desire that you would believe in Christ and believe in Christ alone, be saved and be forever changed as you begin to follow him. For those of you in this room that have already believed in Jesus, wonderful, great, we celebrate that, but is he your master today? Is he ruling your life or is something else ruling your life? Or are you bowing down to something else? Step into the journey of freedom. We're going to pray and we're going to give you a time to respond to Jesus this morning. Let's pray.